Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is a very special broadcast. This is a live broadcast on Friday, the 4th of December, 2020, joined with a special guest, one of the one of the main traditional Catholics on Twitter, Trad Patrick, is joining us from a super secret bunker. Trad Patrick, how are you? I'm good. I'm definitely in the, the secret bunker in a secret location, deep underground, as uh, Mark Levin used to say. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on because this is a topic that you have been wanting to talk about for a long time. And I just thought it would be appropriate for the Restoring the Faith Facebook audience. So we are live on Facebook right now. Now, I just need to dispel a rumor and explain why we're not doing video. We're not doing video because you previously, Patrick, you've been doxxed. Yes. For your beliefs, for your traditional Catholic beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this was a couple of years ago now, um, and it's uh, it wasn't as bad as some people's docs. You know, I'll say some people you know to be a lot worse than than what I got. And, uh, really, it was kind of more of a spurty thing, but it did have uh, did have a ripple effect, and uh, so I just decided look until until I decide what I what I want to do and how I want to go. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just going to stay quiet and and uh, anonymous for a little while. Mm-hmm. You're a business owner. You're a builder. Um, you employ people. You know how the economy works. Uh, and I think that's, this is one of the reasons why you and I are friends, because we live in the real world. Well, we're not just, you know, kind of professional Catholics. We uh, we sort of have see eye to eye on some things, but you've been warning people against this coming financial crisis. Yep, I think a lot of people don't. I, I think a lot of people. So full disclosure, I own business, but I also uh, I've been uh, active in the market, the stock market, for many years. Um, uh, you know, I I sell and and buy and sell stock all day, every day. Um, so I've been pretty active in, in watching the, the trends of the market uh, for, for about, uh, I'd say about 15 years now. And uh, you look at those trends and you can see certain patterns emerge. As a matter of fact, as you know, that's how we buy and sell stock, right? We look at patterns and we have all these different patterns. We have a cup and handle. We have a, a, a running flag. We have a, a, a rising wedge. We have all these patterns that we look at, right? Mm. And it's the same thing when you look at it from a market or an economic uh, point of view. There's always these patterns that you have to look for. And those patterns start to emerge again. 
And I'm sorry, my my littles are outside the office. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be a traditional Catholic podcast without the sound of children. So, tell us a little bit about these patterns, Pat, that you're seeing in the market. Are are you you're, so you're you're saying something in the stock market in particular that's giving you this this spidey sense, or what is it? Uh, it's not the mark the stock market in uh, particular. It's it's a mix of the markets right it's the real estate market it's the oil market it's the um the tech market's a big one um right now but really the biggest one right now is the the housing market um that's that's really the biggest indication that that leads me back to uh, a, a 2008 style collapse but much much worse interesting uh what I, I want to go more deeply into what what it's going to look like, but up front, if you could recommend one or two or three things that a traditional Catholic can do to prepare to weather the storm, what would those things be? Uh, well, <clears throat> not not everybody has land, so the thing I would say is if you don't have land, if you're living in the suburbs or something like that, is go out and uh, get some five-gallon buckets. Uh, fill them up with with cheap uh, cheap supplies, things like flour. Um, don't buy these. You know, everybody wants to run out and buy these 32-day uh, prepper, overpriced, uh, you know, meal buckets. Um, they're a scam. They're overpriced. Most of it's MREs. Being military guys, we know they taste like crap. Um, you know, so really get flour, get rice, get beans. Um, if you if you have the ability, go out and get a freezer. Get out, go out and get a little generator um, that can uh, you know just power your essentials. Um, you can get little gas generators for as cheap as like a hundred, two hundred bucks um, that you can keep around. Get some gas while it's cheap because gas is going to go up. So find a way that you can you know keep some uh, gas. Uh, obviously, be safe about that. It is gasoline. <laughs> Um, but that's the first thing is prep is to prepare yourself, right? Prepare your family for, for, you know, if you go back to the old days, uh, what did people do after the harvest? They prepared, you know, they, they took their wheat and they stored it and they took their leftover crops and they, they pickled them. They, they did whatever they had to do to, to make sure that they had sustenance throughout the, the coming winter. It's, so it it's sounds like thing. what you're describing, though, is going to be much worse than what we saw in 2008. I mean, nobody really needed generators in 2008. I mean, nope. how, how bad is this thing going to be? Well, I think it's going to be worse because I think there's not going to be any stomach to bail anybody out this time. And if you can't bail out the banks, the banks are going to fail. And if the banks fail, that's where you're going to uh, really have the biggest problem. When the banks, when the banks fail... We didn't allow them to fail in 2008. Powell jumped in there. He did everything he could to save the banks, to prop up the banks. Um, and, and essentially, he created the winners out of that, right? We know who the losers were. We know Bear Stearns was a loser. Uh, we knew that like a lot of these other uh, smaller investment banks yeah. were losers. And well, even, of them even, Lehman. even Lehman was allowed to fail, but AIG wasn't. Correct. Correct. Lehman was allowed to fail. AIG was 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 bailed out. AIG, you know, we all know who who the big dog over there at AIG is. So of course we can't let them fail. Um, you know, it's just it, it's really that idea of 
creating winners and losers. And I think that they know to a large degree, which is why you see uh, the World Economic Forum coming up with this idea of everybody's going to be ranting and you're going to be happy, right? That's that's their that's their uh, their big motto mm-hmm. uh, is you're going to rant, you're going to be happy. And then the Pope literally comes out like a month before, you know, uh, the Romulan uh, dictator of the World Economic Forum over there, Klaus Schwab, says the Pope is actually saying this in two fruity, where he's saying, you know, private property is not, you know, it's not a Catholic thing, which is, as we know, traditionally, you know, that's uh, false to the 10th degree, um, that, that private property is a very Catholic thing um, in reality. So they're saying this because they're setting it up. They know, they know that certain industries are going to collapse. Um, it just has to. When you, uh, I gave, I, I did a video today, and I, and I was talking about why they go after land uh, and food as the first uh, things that they go after, and I equated it with this: that the free market is like a royal rumble in the WWF, right? You have fifty guys in a ring. You can't see all the fights. You don't know all the fights until you finally get down to the last four, and that's all that really matters. Well, that's essentially what's happening now. We've had all this free market. We've had all this competition for for the last uh, since the end of World War II. So we're talking almost 100 years now. And slowly but surely, all the competition is being thrown out of the ring. Mm-hmm. They're going over the top rope, and we're getting down to like right now. We're probably down to the last 10, right? And you see, you see companies like Amazon. What is Amazon's uh, newest forte? It's in the supermarkets. Why is Amazon getting into supermarkets? That's where you really have to ask the question. Why would a company like Amazon get into supermarkets? Well, what is the other thing that Amazon owns? One of the largest, widely spread newspapers in this country. So you, you have to start connecting the dots. And when you connect the dots, you see it. And one of the things you see is that during the, the uh, I'm not sure the rules on, on Facebook. Can I mention the name of the uh, chastisement? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so. Okay, so you look at COVID. Who came out as winners of COVID? Uh, Amazon made record profits, something like uh, $2.5 billion uh, during during the lockdown time. Uh, and at this time, you're really seeing another thing happen, which didn't make any sense at all. The price of homes went up about 14% overall to where the median home price. And I always try to, I always try to explain to people the difference between median and average. Because people say, well, I live in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and you know, you could buy a house here for $90,000. I say, okay, that's fine. You could also do that in the, in the mountains of West Virginia. What a median is, and when you talk about median, when you talk about from income and housing and, and salary, what they're looking at is the big metropolitan areas, and that's where they're collecting their data from, and they're getting a median. And a median home price, which is where most people are buying homes, is right now three hundred and sixty-eight thousand dollars, and that's for a, a medium-sized home. So you're talking about eighteen hundred square foot home, uh, three bedroom, two bath, uh, in a suburb, sub development somewhere uh, in the U.S. Where I live in the Pacific Northwest, I live in a place that ten years ago nobody would live in, and now they're selling homes and sub developments for almost five hundred thousand dollars, and this is unsustainable. The majority of people in this country can't afford a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, especially to be uh, to retreat to a non 
urban center like where you're at, I mean, there are there are people who are there's a flight of capital and there's a flight of producers and families out of the cities as a result of COVID, and they're going to places like where you are, and they're bringing their California prices with them. Mm-hmm. Well, it drives up everything, right? It drives up the cost of food. It drives up the cost of, of uh, you know, insurance and transportation. Rent goes up. You really start to price people out. I mean, in in, in the main city of the state I live in, I live in, well, the state I live in, the average uh, median income was, uh, I believe it was $32,000 a year because most of the people were either agricultural or um, Basically, labor, you know, blue collar guys, and uh, so you didn't have a lot of these um, high-paying jobs at all. So a lot of these people are selling their, their McMansions in California, and they're they're moving across. And it's not just California; it's, it's people from Washington and Oregon and other places too, uh, coming out to the, the, the northern, uh, the northwestern Pacific states, and they're. They're saying, hey, you know, I'm going to buy this house. And then they get into these bidding wars with each other, which drive up the price of the houses. And then people that have been living here for a while are like, oh, I'm rich all of a sudden overnight. I'm going to sell my home. And I, and I, in the industry I work in, which, you know, I work uh, in architectural and engineering and, and construction. Uh, so I'm an AEC contractor, for those of you who understand that term. Uh, my business, I, I deal with developers all the time, and I'm hearing the same thing from them. A lot of them are putting their developments on hold, which we haven't seen in, since since the end of the collapse before developers were going nuts. They were scoffing up every piece of property they possibly could, and they were building developments left and right. Well, they've slowed, and they've slowed to a large degree to about, about right now they're at about 60% of what they were two years ago which is a telling sign because when the developers start to slow down their development, it means that they're not selling their inventory as fast as they were. Um, so you got to understand what they do. And I know you do uh, what they do is they buy land and then they finance and they build the homes. They'll build like, let's say the first 10 homes or so in, in a development. And then they build like the, the clubhouse and they build all the, the pool and everything else. And that's all their money right there. And then, They'll have all these other plots, and then you have to go in and buy the plot and build the home. But a lot of times, they'll start building that home before you have the mortgage because you can't get the mortgage until the home is at a certain percentage of, of completion. That's usually about 35 to 40% of completion, unless you have AAA credit and all these other things that go into it. Uh, so here, these developers are now getting stuck, and they have these plots that they're not selling as quickly. And so now their money's sitting there. And it's depreciating. So they're saying, okay, well, I just bought a bunch of land. And you'll see this uh, in some areas where you'll go past and you'll see a for sale sign on a piece of land and it says uh, approved development. So this is a, a big developer that's now saying, okay, I can't develop here because I'm not going to sell this quick enough now. So they already know the trend. And they already know which way it's going. And these people protect themselves. They're like rats off a sinking ship. So you think it's so you're seeing it starting in real estate. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, we've been talking a lot just kind of offline and other people have been talking about the Great Reset. Doesn't doesn't an economic calamity serve the agenda of the Great Reset, which is just a euphemism for a Bolshevik revolution? 
Oh yeah, I mean, as I as I said in my video today, you you look at it, if you go back to the communists, right? If we go back to the communists, which of course the boomers are always going, oh everything's communism. Well, no, communism doesn't exist anymore. It's worse, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, but if you go back to the communists when the Soviets took over, the Bolsheviks took over in Russia, what was the first thing they went after? The farms. Okay, you know we don't talk about that particular. Um, you know, bad thing that happened uh, in in history um, because it doesn't suit the, the needs of those in power. But they went after the farms. They stole all the all the crops. They destroyed the land, basically salting the earth in some cases, where nobody could, you know, re reseed the land to grow new food because why? They need to control the land. They if they can control the land, they can control you, and that stole started in 2008 and I think 2008 was really I think it was less about the mortgage crisis and it was more about kind of a, a a test and that's why it was that's why it was so quickly fixed because I think it was controlled to a large degree I think it was to see how the people would react to a collapse in housing and I think it was a, a, a way to see how people would react to the government taking uh, taking power, if you would, over land and banks. And I think some people kind of get confused sometimes because the way we have banks in, in the world today is they're private, right? Banks are privately owned. They have a board of directors, they have a CEO, they have all these things that are privately owned. There's very little restriction or oversight on banking. They are, there's a little bit, there's rules, right? They have to hold, uh, I believe it's, I believe it's 50% of all deposits uh, in their safe, uh, in their vault on site. Which is why I say to people, uh, you know, Bill Gates and Steve jo uh, and um, uh, Jeff Bezos don't have $113 billion in cash because there's no bank that could hold that deposit. It's, it's impossible, right? So that's really the only real restriction that they have. Other than that, they can charge uh, interest rates up to, uh, I've seen interest rates on loans that exceeded 28, 30%. Uh, banks can do this. And it's because the banks are not nationalized. It's probably the only business I say needs to be nationalized is, is the banking industry. And they wanted to see how people reacted with the private banks being the way they were. Now, if the banks are nationalized in the wrong way, like in Russia, uh, you have a problem. If they're nationalized the right way, as was done in some other countries, uh, you're in a good place. What they want to do is they don't want to nationalize the banks. They want to actually make them more private. They want to give them more private control. And what they want to do is have the, the Fed uh, really just be able to continue to print that money. There's a great video. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, I forget. It's, it's basically a cartoon. Um, and the guy put together uh, this this cartoon to explain how the federal uh, the federal bank and the central banks work. And 2008 was their way of testing that system. And when they when they saw the responses, uh, they said, "Okay, this is what we need to correct for the next time. This is what we need to put in place for the next time." And you saw this just recently with COVID, right? What did the news the news guys go out and say during the first lockdown? They said, oh, toilet paper is going to run off the shelves, right? And we don't have masks and we don't have gloves. And we did, right? All of a sudden, everybody's going out to Costco and everything else. And what are they doing? They're buying like tons of masks, tons of gloves, 
uh, tons of toilet paper, and now for weeks on end, you can't get toilet paper, right? Well, that was another way of testing. They wanted to test the supply lines, see how people reacted to that. If they had gone out and said, run out to the store because during this COVID lockdown, you're not going to have any chopped meat, you would have run out of chopped meat because they literally are, are conditioning the people mm -hmm. to follow. It's like they, it's like they, they implanted the idea in their minds of what's going to run out and then and then people like like sheep went out i mean how much sense does it make you've got a respiratory disease so i've got to stock up on toilet paper those two things have nothing to do with each other <laughs> i guess if you can't breathe you shit a lot i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh that's our maybe true okay so uh you know, there's some stuff to unpack here with what you said about banks and i have a particular interest in this as well um, because when you talk about the Federal Reserve and the printing of money and you consider the fact that the United States on paper is almost $40 trillion in debt, it's probably much, much more than that. It's probably closer to 70, according to some estimates. Mm -hmm. we, we have no gold backing our currency. The only thing we've got going for us is that the rest of the world uses the U.S. dollar to the extent that they stop propping it up by using the U.S. dollar as a petrodollar, for example, then it's almost like the game the game is up, right? I mean, what fiat currency in history, Pat, has ever survived for any serious length of time? Well, even, even, even the Roman uh, system of currency failed, right? The Greek system of currency failed. Um, when we talk about the history of currency... We hold on one second. Oh, you're Sorry, my my wife broke me my coffee. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but um, what you what you see is the history, if, if, a little history of, of of money. When they started to print money, and and printing is probably the wrong term. When they started to uh, uh, basically make money, they were making coin, right? It was physical physical money in the, in the form of coin. And the coin was either gold, silver, or copper at that time. And when that money started to fail itself, they started to do certain things. They would clip the coins. And what that meant was they would literally take the coin and shave a piece of the coin off. And then when that wasn't working enough, they would debase the coin. So we hear this in, in, in modern terms. We hear the, the debasement of money. In those days, what it meant was Instead of it being pure copper, they would put iron ore or steel or, or just whatever garbage metal that they could. They would put it in there and it would only be a certain amount of uh, pure copper or pure silver or pure gold. This is the same thing in America uh, today. During this, this COVID thing, we've, we've come up with this nonsense that there's a coin shortage in America, right? There's no coin shortage in America. The mint was never shut down. The mines where we mine this stuff was never, uh, they were never shut down. They were all open air. So there was people still mining uh, the precious metals and the, and the mint was still printing. So there's no shortage of coin. But what that does is they go out and they say, there's a shortage of coin. So a lot of stores say, we, we want you to only use a debit card. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that they've already created a way to now debase money because if you use a debit card basically all it is is ones and zeros in data streams across 
networked computers. It doesn't really exist, right? It's it's virtual, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. right? People don't. How many people do you know uh, carry cash on? Them? I would say most people I know maybe they have like a twenty dollar bill in their wallet. Yeah. But other than that, they got credit cards no, and debit I mean, cards. And you see the signs up all over the place now. You know, it, please bring exact change. We really don't want you using cash. There was at one point I went up to a small town in in a rural part of where I live, and uh, took the kids to get an ice cream cone, and the sign said, "If you're going to pay with cash, you need to sign in because we're we're doing you know the COVID contact tracing." But if you're paying with your debit card, there's no need because they are literally tracking all of our transactions. Well, it's it's. Everything is connected, right? And it all goes back to these these really bad people, and there's really bad people in a couple of groups, right? It started way back at the end of World War II with the Frankfurt Group, uh, the Frankfurt School, right? That ended up becoming the Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Grove, the the Davos, the the Paris Accords, the G20, the G10, uh, and now we have the World Economic Forum. So these are all interconnected groups. As a matter of fact, I have the attendee lists. And you'll see those attendee lists in the, in the spreadsheets that it's the same people attending these same conferences over and over and over again. And these people do want to watch. And what we did was, and I explained this on my show earlier today, is what what they used to do, uh, and I'm older, is you'd go into a shopping mall and there'd be somebody with a clipboard. they go, hey, you have time for a few questions. You know, We'll give you $5 or, or a gift certificate or something like that if you come in and you answer these questions, right? That was really how the, the, the elites got their information was from these focus groups, research groups. But then they said, well, that's too much. It's too much work. We're not getting enough data. So they invented social media. And what do we do on social media? We post pictures of what we eat. We post pictures of where we go. We, we, we give them all the information and data that they need to know. And so one of the things that they, they know now is they know everywhere we go. Why? Because we take a picture of it. And then they say, Okay, now we know everything that they eat. And I, and I gave this example. They said they found out that, that people on the right eat a lot of eggs, okay, for example, and they eat a lot of red meat. And then they look at these people on the right and they go, these guys are all healthy. They're all fit. They all work out. They're all muscular. So what do they do? Red meat's bad. Eggs, for, for the longest time, it was that, uh, the incredible edible healthy egg, right? You're supposed to eat X amount of eggs. Now, all of a sudden, if you eat so much as one egg, you're going to die. Right. And this is this is the information It's the same with money. So this is how they're controlling the collapse. And as I said, the collapse starts with number one is the Federal Reserve. Right. These people are the worst people that you can imagine. They, they have absolutely no qualms about crashing everything. And they've done it in the past. Uh, they, they did it with the, the, the Great Depression. They did it in France uh, during the time of Napoleon. They've. They've been controlling every crash that's ever happened. And I think if you look at those crashes throughout history, as I have done, and you start to look at the similarities between them, you see the similarity here right now as to what's going on. You have you have political strife, which makes it, it, makes it a perfect uh, breeding ground mm -hmm. for a collapse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they do want violence to some to some degree. They 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 want violence to some degree, which is why you never saw really anybody it, it largely go out and end all of the um, 
the crazy riots and stuff. You didn't see that because they need that. Because what that says now is, okay, one of the problems that we have, and you'll hear this, and, and matter of fact, Pope Francis is, is, is a big uh, you know, cheerleader for this, is that things aren't equal. They're not, they're not fair. And because they're not equal and fair, you, you, ha- you breed all this discontent. Well, that's not true. The discontent is actually manufactured because normal people, and when you read, uh, you know, Pius the Ninth, uh, Pius the Tenth, when you read Leo the Thirteenth, they come out and they say, "Look, you're equal in in your in your status as a human being and, and uh, all that that God gave you, but you're not equal in your ability. You're not equal in all these other things. Those things are things that uh, are unequal, and so." There are some people who are going to be able to afford to eat meat and lobster, you know, two or three times a week. And then there are some people who can't. So the best way to come across that is to say, well, let's make this new food pyramid, which the World Economic Forum did. They created a, 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 a food wheel now. So it's not a pyramid now. Now it's a wheel. And they said, look, you know, this is what you have to eat. And if you're going to eat red meat, it has to be this really lean uh, red meat that serves no purpose. Because if you don't have fat in meat. You, you lose a lot of the, 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 uh, the iron content and, and stuff like that that the body needs. So, of course, you're getting, into this, uh, you're getting into this place where the conditions are right. But what they need to do first is attack the land. And that's by collapsing the housing market. Once you collapse the housing market, then you can consider who gets to own land versus who has to rent it. And this, again, goes back to the Soviets where you started to see these really ugly tenements. And if you have been to Russia, and I have, and you go to the uh, outskirts of Moscow, you see a lot of these ugly, gray, concrete tenements. Because what was happening was, if you lived in a home in the burbs, but they found out that you were uh, you know, saying something against the party, against the Politburo, they would come take the father, put him in re-education, but you also lost the ability to live in a home. So now you had to go live in the tenement. Um, and uh, so this is really where that whole idea of collapsing the housing market comes from. And I think I think the what a lot of people don't realize is they buy the homes and they rent the homes and they say, oh, I'm making all this money. Real estate's great. You know, you, you guys are just you're just jealous or whatever. And there's a lot of excuses. But the rising of, of housing is actually probably, I would say, 35% over what the cost is. So the average builder to build a home, if he's selling that home for $338,000, it's probably only costing him about $55,000 to build that home. And, you, and you'll actually see how a lot of the stuff that goes into it, if you, you go to buy a home in a development, if you had, had a home built, you end up going to a design center, right? And they say, well, you get doors in the house. Yes, that, that comes with the house. But they're the really cheap doors. They're hollow. They're basically cardboard inside of them. Uh, if you want the nicer door, uh, we could sell you these. And they'll show you a door and they'll say, well, okay, this door is $400 a piece. But what people didn't realize, because they're, they, they want to buy the home, they want to have it all done, they want to move in, that door that they're selling you for $400, you can go to Home Depot and buy it for like 75 bucks. So... They're making incredible margins on this because there is no control or oversight over housing at all. You could, if you wanted to, you could take your home tomorrow and sell your home tomorrow, put it on the market for $400,000. You might not sell it the next day, depending on where you are, but you will eventually sell that home for $400,000. And then what that does, it has a ripple effect. 
So now all the homes and realtors will always do this. They'll, they'll say, here's the comps. And what the comps are is the comparable prices a home sold in that area. And they'll say, okay, well, that home sold for $400,000. So they'll, they'll try to average it out and they'll say, okay, sell your home at 380. So now they set a price point and that price point is $380,000. So a lot of people are selling homes, but they bought for 50 or $60,000 for, for $300,000 profits. And then, but they're not understanding what the ripple effect of that is. And what it essentially is, is that the most, most people in America today do not make six figure incomes. They, the average, uh, the median income, excuse me, uh, in America right now is $56,753 a year. Okay. A $400,000 mortgage uh, with 10% down, which most people don't have $40,000 uh, sitting on hand. Uh, and then that's just 10% down. That doesn't include your closing costs and your lawyer fees and all this and that. So you're talking probably you need $50,000. Most people don't have $50,000 sitting sitting around. So they're they're putting down FHA, uh, you know, um, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans where they're putting down 2.5%. And so their mortgage each month is exceeding, you know, eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars a month. Now, if you're only making four thousand dollars a month take home, you know, you're 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 presenting fifty percent of your income is out the door just on your mortgage. That's not including your utilities, your food, your clothing for your family. And I'm not even talking about any of the the other things that people need to, you know, not need but want uh, to survive. So. It, it, it's really completely manufactured to uh, to make the people in the country poor. And and this was something that was warned about, by the way, throughout history. I mean, if we go all the way back, we can go all the way back to Aristotle, who warned about these types of things. Um, we can get into philosophical discussions about all of these people who have warned about all these things throughout history. Uh, I know yesterday you, you had a show and you were talking about Descartes. Uh, Descartes is worse than what you think. I mean, he was, if he was alive today, he would be over there at the World Economic Forum because he believed in all that stuff. So this is, this is not something that's new. This is something that's just coming to its, its uh, ideological conclusion, if you would. Right. So you're talking a lot about the uh, World Economic Forum. I want to bring up an image. This is like the wagon wheel image that they use. It's uh, it sh- it's talking talks about the Great Reset, the major goals that they have at the World Economic Forum, shaping the economic recovery, harnessing the Fourth Industrial Revolution, strengthening regional development, and and underneath these major goals, they have the they have the sub components of that. Um, so, for example, we're we're talking about strengthening regional development and revitalizing global cooperation. Under those falls into things like. 5G and internet governance, development finance, banking and capital markets, sustainable development, uh, future of healthcare. So, so these these people are have been plotting, as you said, for a long time, and this is a very real issue that that, that we're bringing up. So, you've touched on housing, you've touched on banking, you've touched on mm-hmm. the nature of money. And I think that this can be a very jarring discussion for someone who's just tuning in with with Patrick Trad. You can follow him on Twitter, Patrick Trad. He's got a YouTube channel called Rights and Duties. Because what Pat is saying is that the 
the effects of this coming crisis are going to be so much worse than 2008. This is not, hey, you can hedge against the market, you know, maybe, maybe sell short on stocks, load up on bonds, uh, maybe buy an investment property. This is, you, you started this broadcast with learn how to can food, get a generator, get a victory garden, and uh, try to get some, some livestock. I mean, that's, that's a pretty radical change of, you know, of, of people's perspectives. It is, but but it's not the first time, right? This is not the first time. If we go back to the Great Depression, we go back to the era between World War One and World War Two, right? What do we see? We see the same things happening. We do see people that are standing up against it, right? And of course, you're, you've been told throughout history that uh, people like Franco, for example, were bad guys. But why were they bad guys? Well, let's see, because they rejected this movement toward toward socialism communism liberalism really i mean take the communism and the socialism out of it those are really just kind of uh singular economic systems that you know you can throw away liberalism is worse way worse and so they rejected it and they said no 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 we don't need that we can we can sustain our own our own country and, and you see this with oswald mostly for example who says we can sustain britain just by keeping everything here in Britain. In other words, I, I gave the example of America, for example. A lot of Midwest farmers, you'll hear about them with these contracts with soybeans, right? There's only one problem. Americans don't consume soy that much. Not a lot at all. So we have thousands, tens of thousands, millions of acres of, of producible land in this country growing a crop that is being grown just so that we can we can harvest it and ship it overseas. So we're taking we're taking land that could feed the people here in America cheaply, by the way, uh, where a farmer could make a, a nice profit, where where the community can be sustainable, where all this stuff. So they talk about sustainability, but they're not talking about sustainability the way we do. They're not talking about it from a subsidiarity or an integralist position or, or a solidarity position. They're talking about it from a a, a global position. And that's where you really see people like Franco back then kind of rejecting it. And what, are they, what do you see with these people uh, at that time? They're largely unaffected by the, by the effects of the Great Depression. Why are they largely unaffected by the Great Depression? Because they, they're not dealing with this free trade. And free trade, again, becomes an oversaturation of competition. And it's the same thing with housing, right? We oversaturate our country with housing. So what do we do? We're the only country in the world, by the way, who allows this. You do not have to be a citizen of the United States of America to own property in the United States of America. You can come here, and I've seen this done. Uh, you can get on a plane from China, come in, plop a briefcase of money down on a, on a realtor's desk. Mm -hmm. I want that house, that house, and that house. Leave, go back to China, and never come back. You, you rent them out to somebody else, and you make profit because uh, the idea of making profit in China as a communist country is is uh, there's less ability to do it. So they offshore it and they and they hide it, and there's a lot of tax shelters and 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 stuff like that. And who's who's supplying that? Well, Western Western European nations, places like Switzerland, for example, or uh, even South American nations. One of the one of the uh, I think it's Belize is one place where you you don't have to be a citizen. Uh, they give you what's called a paper citizenship by putting money in the banks there. 
Um, same thing in some of the Caribbean uh, islands become havens for these people. And America's allowing it because America is largely not a nation. It's a business. And so, you know, I always often equate, you know, we don't have a president. We have a CEO. And that CEO's job is not to care about the people of the country. He's, his job is to care about the success of the industry. And that's essentially where you are. And that's how you get that's how you get people like, you know, Klaus Schwabi over there standing up and, you know, looking ridiculous and saying all these things that most people sit there and go, ah, that's all nonsense. It's never going to happen. Um, but people like us sit there and go, what do you mean it's never going to happen? It's happening right now. Do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? And they go, nah, 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 nah. You're, you're crazy. Uh, the truckers were supposed to go on strike, right? It didn't happen. Truckers didn't go on strike. Why? essentially they were told don't do it so they didn't do it so again it comes down to there there is no ideological belief in in subsidiarity or solidarity or even nationalism to a large degree americans are are the least nationalist people on the planet i can't help but observe that uh, americans are uh, for the most part the most complicit in the world with respect to this global reset and the lockdowns the masking the covid-1984 hysteria you saw two million people gather in Berlin uh, not that long ago. You've seen uprisings in Portugal, Spain, Ireland, France, Italy especially, all from north to south. Um, you're seeing it in Eastern Europe as well. And yet here we haven't really seen, in, in mass numbers, we, ha we just haven't seen people throw off this hysteria, this COVID-1984 hysteria. Why do you think it is, Pat, and maybe this is a group psychology question or a anthropological question, but why are Americans complicit in this coming financial crisis, which is engineered by the World Economic Forum, and, and why are we asleep to it? Well, it's a sociological question, right? Sociology is a science. Um, and from a sociological standpoint, we're a 200 and some odd year old country, right? That's all we are. We're a baby in the world. We're a baby. You, you consider a place like Rome, right? Rome is, you know, five, 6,000 years of, of, of uh, nationhood, if you would, empire. And America's this, this little baby, you know, it's, it's, it's still learning how to crawl. And Americans have no connection to Europe. They, they look at Europe and they're like, eh, I don't really have a connection to that. So you bring up all these things happening in Europe and the average American's like, ah, Europeans are crazy. They're weird, you know. Uh, but what they don't understand is like it, in Italy specifically, the Italian people, they, they are OK with control if the control is to the benefit of Italian people. But if the control is not to the benefit of the Italian people, they're going to stand up and they're going to say no. And they, they largely have been doing that. They, they, they go out without masks on. They, they have their gatherings because they're a very social society. We're not a social society. Matter of fact, we teach our kids, you know, uh, be wary of everybody and everything and, uh, 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 and everything is bad. And you, you, you got to stay in your home and you got to be like this, um, uh, you know, this person who's, who's afraid to go outside. And, and you see it in the suburbs, right? A lot of people in the suburbs develop. They, they, they pull their car into the drive, into the garage. They go into the house from inside the garage. And then you don't see them because they never go outside in the front. They only go out in the back, you know, and they only have their, their small group of people come over. So it's very easy to control a society like that. 
And it's also very easy to control a very diverse society. So again, we go back to the Frankfurt School who set up America, basically say America needs to be more diverse because we're talking about the early 1900s where the immigration law is like, well, you really have to, we have to take 80% of the immigrants that come into America have to have European stock, right? Uh, Peter Brimelow wrote a great book called Alienation. And in it, he explains how it was the largest contingency of people that immigrated to the United States up until the 1965 immigration law were from Britain, Germany, and Italy, right? And I say Britain, that, that includes Ireland and Scotland, um, Greater Britain, the Greater UK, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's like 80 to 90% of the immigration that's coming into this country is coming from there, right? And then you had a few stragglers from other places. Well, these guys come in, they said, this is not good. These people are too connected. And so then you start to see that change. The immigration law changes, and it basically becomes a free-for-all. And that's how you get people to be complacent, because there, there's no connection. There's no culture. There's no unifying identity as an American, except that there's this, this idea that and – you, and you'll hear this from a lot of uh, speakers on the right. Alex Jones has said it. Uh, Stephen Crowder said it. All these people say, I don't care what you are as long as you love uh, the Constitution and your guns, right? Like that's all that matters in America, right, is this piece of paper and, and your ability to have guns and nothing else uh, matters at all. So it's very easy because you have no connection to anything. So now if the government comes along and says, hey, you got to do this, this, and this for the greater good, uh, even though they're not talking about the greater good, uh, people are, are willing to do it. And you look back at some of these other leaders of the past when they were talking about the common good or the greater good, they were talking about for the people of, of the community. They were talking about what's best for the community. And they weren't looking at this, this global idea. So Americans are very globalist by nature. They don't, they don't think in, in terms of boundaries and, and borders and uh, identities or cultures. Uh, to them, that's that's foreign. You can't you can't bring that up. You can't talk about identity politics. You can't talk about culture, uh, because it all has to be very uh, very gray. Yeah, I've I've contended on your program at least. I don't know if I've ever said this on restoring the faith, but um, it seems to me that if to the extent that you wanted to say that America did have a culture, which I I, I think we you could start from the premise that we really don't that there's no uh, there's mm -hmm. no authentic or uniquely american culture in existence uh we're, we're we're a melting pot of a bunch of things and when you blend everything together what do you get you get nothing um but if you if you could say that we did have a culture here in the united states that culture would be largely defined by the principles of feminism and effeminacy yeah. feminism for women effeminacy for men the the seeking the but, seeking of comfort the seeking of um of the easiest possible thing instant gratification we are the inventors of all of the luxuries in life that's our mm -hmm. culture really commercialism but, ease of life and that's it it's 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 a consumerist society right so consumerism is really a, a very feminine thing right if you go back and you look at the past right who, when they were doing marketing, who were they really marketing to buy stuff to? It wasn't men. They were marketing to buy stuff to women because women were the ones who would go out and, and, and buy stuff. Why? Because the women didn't work. Women were home. 
they so they they would go and buy stuff for the home and the man was content with a, a you know a good bottle of whiskey a, a cigar and you know maybe a, a you know a, a nice lawnmower to cut the grass you know and beyond that you really didn't care for much of anything else you know it was as long as I have a nice comfortable chair to kick my feet up smoke a cigar smoke a pipe read the newspaper and and have a scotch or a whiskey I'm good I'm content um, but again, that goes back to what you said. It's a very, it's a very feminine society. And so even if you say effemacy or whatever, I just, I just say it's feminine because it, it's based on two things, consumerism and emotionalism, right? You've created a society of men who are emotional. Men are not supposed, not to say that men aren't supposed to have emotion, but men aren't supposed to be driven or, or controlled by emotion, uh, that's that's a female thing. And so it becomes this female trait that men have not accepted. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a completely mm-hmm. feminine society. So when you say that there's a collapse coming, okay, so of course, the majority of people in the country are going to say, that's crazy. It's never going to happen. And they said the same thing in 2008, right? If you go back and you, you read the books or you watch the movie uh, The Big Short, for example, uh, it's a great book. Uh, the movie's okay. It's got one scene in it where, you know, you might want to close your eyes. Uh, but beyond that, it's a great movie. And it really explains how, you know, here's these guys saying, look, look at the patterns. Here's what's coming. And the entire world, the entire country of America is saying, you're crazy. It's not happening. And it's the same thing now. You know, people think it's a joke, right? They look at this guy and he wears these outlandish costumes and everything. They go, come on, you're taking this guy serious. Yeah. And take that guy very serious because that guy is one thing that most Americans are not. He's an ideologue. Most Americans are not ideologues. Yeah. They don't have that that connection to any ideology at all. The only ideology they have, as you said, is is mm-hmm. buying, uh, consuming, and, and that's it. And that's why a lot of them are, are okay with, with wage cuckery uh, to, to a large degree. It's It's easy for them. It's comfortable for them. You know, I, I have this job. I don't care that the company I work for is promoting all these bad things and stuff like that. Because what am I going to do? I need a job, right? right? And so that's that's and, and to your that's the to side. your point as well about people not not even believing that 2008 could happen. Uh, it, towards the end of 2007, I was finishing my graduate studies in finance, and in December in December of 2007, when I graduated. Uh, with with a master's degree from a from a top program in the country in finance, I was testing out my final exams in December of 2007. Were about mortgage backed securities and how wonderful it was that you could strip away, you know, the the interest payments from these things and you could bundle them together and diversify the basket of mortgage backed securities and through diversification you could virtually eliminate the risk of non-payment and default and that uh, they were it's a great thing that they're tradable and exchangeable and that they're everywhere in the economy and all the banks owned them and it's it really just spread the risk out to the point where the risk was uh eliminated and 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 this was still being taught in graduate finance courses while the world melted down at the end of 2007 i mean it's it's a joke it's not, and it's not changed today. I mean, it still exists. The the idea of taking these mortgage-backed securities that are are basically defaulting and repackaging them into other into other funds and other 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 um, securities still goes on today. It was never it was never made illegal. Matter of fact, nobody actually paid 
for for any of the stuff that happened. Nobody nobody went to jail. Uh, nobody got fined. Nobody really paid anything back. Matter of fact, the guys in the big short actually made a fortune uh, by shorting the, the the mortgage industry. Some of these guys made uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, the guy actually felt bad afterwards, you know, he's, you know, I made all this money. Um, but really what I was trying to do was tell everybody what's going on and what's happening. And, uh, they all just kind of missed it and they, they let it go. And they, they said, eh, you know, it is what it is. And they just, uh, you know, it, it escaped it. So they sell, so they still sell this. They still sell these mortgage backed securities. They still repart, uh, repackage the bad ones. Uh, and people still buy them today. And you, you, if you are on uh, E-Trade or anything like that, you'll find it. Matter of fact, I give you a funny story about this. Is um, during the COVID, a lot of people started getting into what they call retail trading. Mm -hmm. um, what that basically means is average guys uh, that aren't stockbrokers and stuff like that buying and selling stocks. Well, the elites didn't like that, so what they started to do was short everything that they were buying. Right. And you saw this in, in massive. I was watching it. You know, these guys would go out and buy this particular stock uh, in this real estate company or something like that. And then the elites would come along and they would short it to nothing. Right. They didn't care that they were essentially going to collapse a company, but they wanted to drive the understanding that you're the little guy. You don't get to make money from this. OK, you don't get to understand the market. The market is too complex for you. You don't get to understand it, even though. Um, the, the great father Heinrich Pesch uh, stated that the market was actually the best way of, of, of doing business because this was a shared uh, gain and a shared loss. So there was no usurious involvement here. So, I mean, it's all, it's, it's all planned, right? The, everything is planned from the usury uh, onto the collapses, onto the control of the food, the control of the supply lines. It's all controlled. And you, you see it, right? We, we, we exist with so much stuff that we need that comes to us from other places because we've never had a president or a Congress or a Senate that sat down rules and said, look, you're an American company. You're not going to do 99% of your manufacturing in Mexico or in, in India or in China. You're going to do 99% of your manufacturing here in America. Well, well that, they didn't that stop. That rubs Americans the wrong way, though, when you start imagining federal pressure being placed to a private company you know this is it, to, to the extent that americans idolize the and fetishize the so-called separation of church and state they also likewise idolize and, and fetishize the so-called apparent separation between government and industry which we've never really had that separation but we've certainly have the illusion of that here well, the problem with Americans is that they're, they're too libertarian. Um, they believe that any time a government gets involved and says anything, it's wrong, mm -hmm. right? So, you, you know, the government can't, the government can't get involved in, in, in telling a business, a private business, what to do. And you'll hear this from libertarians all the time. And they're like, that's wrong. Well, why is it wrong for a, a government to say to a private business, for the, for the sake of the people of this nation, you have to manufacture 90% of your goods in this country or... Or we're not going to control you. If you want to, if you want to manufacture ninety percent of your goods in India, that's fine. But what we're going to do is we're going to charge you a fifteen hundred percent tariff on every good you bring back into this country. Well, they could never sell that good in this country. So it's simple. You can't I can't force you to build here or manufacture here, but I can tell you that if you're going to do it there, 
uh, it's going to cost you to bring it back in here and you're not going to be able to sell it because it's going to be too expensive. So that's the problem is, is that Americans don't understand that government is a necessary thing. And, and as Catholics, we should all understand that. Right. And you'll hear a lot of Catholics say they're monarchists and this and that, which is kind of a, a little bit of a LARPy thing because there, there, there's no president uh, that became right. There's no there's no person in America that's, you know, valid for, for monarchy. But you can have a government that takes care of its country. And the, the less we take care of our country, the more we set ourselves up. And we've been setting ourselves up for this globalism for the past 80 years now, since the end of World War II, when they all sat together and said, hey, we need to be this global community. And that's and you hear that same echo in uh, Pope Francis's Tutti Fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we, we are this global community and it's and it's not true it's it was never stated in the bible it was never stated in scripture most of the saints never said that uh no i mean know, many well, many of the saints had incredible allegiance to their nations to their homelands they would speak mm-hmm. beautifully of their homelands and they would fight and die for their homelands and and patriotism properly understood is a catholic virtue there is a nobility to patriotism Patriotism doesn't mean waving a flag around and assuming that your nation has never committed uh, an atrocity. It's not whitewashing your history. It's it's actually loving your nation. And to love something means to will its ultimate good. And to will the ultimate good of your nation is to is to demand that it not only account for the times that it's fallen short, but that it convert and be Catholic. That's what it means to have patriotism. A, a, a traditional Catholic who says he's a patriot must by definition, mean that he is for the uh, conversion of the state to a Catholic state. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. Uh, people LARP, which uh, if you're not familiar with LARPing, it's what is it? Live action role playing is what it stands for. And a lot of people say yeah. it's a very it's a very um, in vogue thing right now for millennials and 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 zennials to run around and say oh i'm a monarchist i w- i want i want there to be a king i want trump to be king i don't want trump to be king until he's catholic because there's no separation in the middle ages between the crown and the church the crown and the church are no. properly understood as essentially the same thing because all authority comes from god yeah i mean it's Again, we're we're we are we are in the crux of a really a very demonic uh, West for the first time in the in the history of the West. The West was never this uh, really just uh, demonic uh, outlook of the world. Uh, you know, we can of course we can point to the this beginning in, in uh, you know the 1500s with Luther. But I mean, we get Luther, we get Calvin, we get uh, um, we get uh, just uh, people like Descartes, Voltaire. I mean, the list goes on. You get a lot of these people who are very much, you know, they're they're rejecting God, they're rejecting the church, they're rejecting, um, you know, basically any moral principle, because the, the principle just becomes, you know, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. If you're happy, then that's all that matters, and so. The more excess you get, the more uh, deviant you get, the more uh, degenerate you get, the better, right? Because there, nobody should tell you what makes you happy, right? Nobody should be there to be able to tell you that, you know, this thing that makes you happy is wrong and you can't, you can't have it. And so it, it just gets very 
it gets very the, the message gets lost. And so yeah, well, I, I the setup there was collapses. there was a Supreme Court decision in which the Supreme Court said that man has the right to define for himself what his happiness is. I mean, nothing mm-hmm. could be further from the truth. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's demonic inversion of reality. Well, it's it's thelmatic, right? Uh, if you if you look, you know, a lot of the people in our government, a lot of the people in our in the history of America are thelmites. And and what is the basic principle of thelmism? Do as thou will shall be the whole of the law. Right. So I mean, it's it's really that it's really that simple. Uh, America is a very uh, you know we're we're founded by ideas to a large degree. Um, you know we are we are very uh, immoral people, and so so collapses for America are not. Look, I, I can tell you what's going to happen. America collapses. You're going to see nations like Italy, probably Poland, Hungary, uh, Romania, um, more of the Europe, Eastern European countries uh, will side with Italy, uh, and they'll reject this, and and they'll prosper. While America, I mean, Italy. I, I don't know if I if I should say the name, but under uh, a certain uh, strong-chinned leader uh, of the past, uh, largely felt no effects of the Great Depression while Americans were sitting in breadlines. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's it's really the it's, it's the it's the inverse of what is what is good, and so collapse here in America is good because it makes everything equal, right? So if you're if everybody's renting, everybody will be happy. Right. Because everybody will have the ability to have the same stuff because it'll be the same price for everybody. Um, and you're not going to own it. And it's like you showed a video. And I, I think that that video, I have that video too, the World Economic Forum video where they're like, oh, you'll you'll rent whatever goods you want and a drone will drop it off at your home. Well, where did they get that idea from? Amazon. Bezos is the one pushing the drone delivery. So, I mean, so so you can't tell me that he's not part of this you can't tell me he's not part of it when starting four years ago he started getting into the into the supermarket industry he starts buying whole foods and now he ends up building his own supermarkets not only does he build his own supermarkets but what are, the, what are these supermarkets they're cashless right they're just walk out right that's the convenience you go in you put all the stuff in your shopping cart and you just walk out and later on your app tells you how much money was deducted from your account right money is not real it doesn't exist anymore. So collapse is easy because if you don't have any real understanding, any real foundational uh, uh, education in money, it does. It's not real. It, it, look at schools. Do we teach kids how to do a budget? No. Do we teach teach them how to do taxes? No. Do we tell, tell teach them how to balance a checkbook? No. Why would we balance a checkbook? Who writes a check these days? Right? Why would we teach them? Uh, you know. Uh, economic policies or anything like that because you get into college and you get economics professors who are teaching you like just made up nonsense uh, of economics which just ends up becoming nothing more than theory it's not based in reality and so it's it's uh the the truth of the matter is it doesn't exist it's not real money is not real i think it was malcolm x of all people who actually said that you are a fool if you allow your enemies to educate your children, yes. you're a fool. And, and that's what yep, we're doing now. 
If your children are in public school right now, the enemy is educating your children, corrupting them beyond belief. And I believe that that's a mortal sin to send your children to public school. I believe, I believe if you, I, I, I go further and I think it's, I think it's almost sinful if you are, if you're married and you're, you have children and both parents work. Um, I, I think that I know it's, I know the church doesn't say it's a sin, but I, I, I do. I believe it's a sin because you're, you're, you're depriving your children of that, that connection that you have. Um, I've got, I've got a bunch of kids, a gaggle of kids in my home. Uh, we're around them 24 seven and, but I have a relationship with my kids. My kids will come and tell me anything, right? A lot of these people, they, they, they'll talk to their kids and they're like, oh, how do I get my kid to open up to me? Well, for one, maybe if you were home once in a while, they might open up to you. But instead, they're going to go out and they're going to do drugs and they're going to do all these bad things because because you're, you're never there. And, and so they the representative that they have is the school teacher who is a product of the society herself. And, and you see it now. I think it's Hulu uh, has a TV show coming out where it's basically uh, – you know, glorifying this this relationship between this female teacher and a, and a male male student. Uh, what what a lot of people don't talk about is the fact that a lot of these uh, wine ants that we have teaching our kids are are so uh, sex crazed that they're that they're now sleeping with uh, twelve and thirteen year old boys because that's what society has taught them. So that's part of the collapse because we collapsed morally. We have no we have no morals in America. We porn is free. You can get it anywhere. There's no stigma to, to porn anymore. I, I've talked about this in the past. Guys would go into the, the magazine shop with like a trench coat and pulled over their head and, you know, get the thing that's in the brown paper so nobody could see it and then go pay for it because it, there was a stigma to it. You, you didn't want to be known as the guy buying porn. Now, People sit around the, the water cooler with a, with a cell phone looking at uh, porn videos. And I think uh, our friend Anthony Stein was telling me yesterday that there was a thing that came out that the the most viewed pornography on uh, one of these porn things, I think it was Pornhub or YouPorn or one of these things, is now uh, stepmom uh, porn. Stepmom and stepsister porn. All right. So, All right. I, <laughs> we don't have to get that specific. Uh on this channel, but but that's that's disgusting. It's despicable. Uh, it all moral, all moral lines are being now. I I kind of want to. I want to bring this back to the the opening topic and the stated topic here of the coming financial crisis. When people are this despicable, this immoral, mm -hmm. this bankrupt, that doesn't bode well when the economy collapses. That doesn't bode well when there's a crisis of ownership. When you don't, it, you know, when you, when when suddenly you can't eat. Did it bode well for the Romans? They were they were just as at the end they were just as as immoral and despicable. Didn't bode well for them, right? They were ripe for takeover. They 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 were they were, you know, turning on each other for for pieces of uh, crumbs of bread. So the, the idea is that while in the beginning it might sound nice and sound like this utopia, but when people are standing in line for bread for, for two or three hours in a nation like America, there's going to be violence. And so 
you know, people talk about bread lines in these these other countries, and they say, I often hear people say, why did they stand in line for bread? Why didn't they just make their own? Because you couldn't buy flour. <laughs> so you couldn't buy the flour to make your own bread. So you had to go out to the store and and, and uh, stand in line for this for this bread that the government was allowing you to have. So I, to be honest with you, I honestly believe that, and I don't believe it's it's tomorrow or the next day. And I'm not even going to say, you know, I'm not some mystic and say that this is going to happen, you know, on this day or whatever. But what I am going to say is that you're going to see. Uh, probably after the the new year, you're going to see uh, probably a massive issue in the housing market. I think it's going to start with uh, sales of homes is going to drop. I think that's going to be the first place is the sales of homes are going to drop drastically. People are just they're they're going to they're going to bunker in. They're going to shelter in place. And they're going to say, you know what, I'm here, I have a job, I have all this stuff, I'm not moving, all this stuff is looking bad, I'm going to stay, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to buy another house. That's going to affect the developers who are going to stop building. That's going to affect the the uh, uh, the supply of homes. A lot of people say that that we, we don't have enough homes. I, I, I don't believe that that's true. Um, but you're going to see that that's going to be pushed. And then you're going to see a collapse in the mortgage industry because if there's no homes being sold, there's no new mortgages being out there. Uh, so then you're going to see people getting desperate and selling homes at rock bottom prices, which, uh, they're going to sell a home for less than what they owe on the home, which is again, going to go back to, uh, you know, collapsing the mortgages because these people are going to go, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to. I'm going to do, they're going to do what they did in 2008. They're either going to sell for less, they're going to short sell the home, or they're going to leave the home empty, uh, go in the meantime and buy another home, stop paying the mortgage on that one, and you're going to see a lot of that stuff happening first. And I think then the government's going to step in. The people are not going to have the stomach for bailouts to these banks. Mm -hmm. So the government's going to be stuck in a catch-22 situation. And there's going to be basically this this idea of we have to let the banks fail. And what happens when the banks fail is you're going to see a run on the banks. Now people are going to start to understand money again. Okay, my sons are fighting out there. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, uh, you're, you're right. People are going to understand what money is and what it isn't because when your account can just be debited electronically with with the click of a mouse – suddenly you you have nothing left and and you have nothing to no. show i mean that's that that's very real that makes it very real i tell people i tell people and i still tell people they'll say to me what should i what should i do i say go down to the bank and take 40 dollars every week and buy coins <laughs> and people go what are you crazy and i'm like no because the paper money is going to be worthless at some point right but those coins are never going to be worthless because there's always a value to them. There's always a certain amount of silver and there's always a certain amount of gold in them. Don't don't buy gold stocks or anything like that. If you're going to buy that, go buy gold. Uh, I'm not like one of these Glenn Beck types who's like telling you to go out and buy gold all the time. But but there are things that you can do to, to, to prepare yourself not, not to have uh, excess but to be able to have stuff to barter with uh, in order to – circumvent you know the the idea of shortages um if truckers do finally have enough and they go on strike uh i i often point to argentina where the is argentina or brazil one of them the truckers went on strike by the fourth day 
the the supermarkets were empty. They were completely empty, and uh, it took three months for them to get the supermarkets back filled back up because after the truckers came off a strike. So, you know, there are things that can happen. You know, farmers can can be displaced. You know, by these big corporate farms or another thing that's happening really, and and we're doing it. Not not the powers that be. We're doing it. Is uh, children who are second or third generation farmers are like, I'm gonna dig in the dirt for a living. I'm gonna sell this. I can get millions for this land. And well, so what are they doing? They're selling thousands of acres of, of producible land off to developers who who are building sub developments or warehouses or factories. And, and so the the supply of producible land is drying up Mm -hmm. and it's not because the powers that be are taking it. It's because we train these kids when they go off to college to reject that kind of lifestyle. And so it's largely older people in their late thirties, forties, fifties that are starting to kind of return to the land and, and take back up the idea of farming and stuff. But now there's all these different things There's these, uh, you know, we have, uh, the government pushing this idea of, of, uh, you know, FHA and stuff going uh, more to certain segments of society. So now those people are getting squeezed out from being able to buy land because they can't get they can't get a loan. Uh, you you have all these problems that just keep coming in. I mean, the credit industry is another one. Um, all of this stuff is set up to to give more and more vast amounts of control over to a liberal uh, entity because people don't even realize it. Even the Republicans in in D.C. are liberals. Uh, it's just a different shade of liberal, yeah. a classical liberal, yeah. uh, and a social liberal. No, you're, you're and neither right. one of them, there's there's some yeah, neither one of them socially, yeah, neither one of them socially is is on our side. No, we've lost we, we've both, lost the culture war. The the Pat Buchanan yeah. was the last hope we had, as you have said many times in many places, and I agree with. Um, and that that's it, that's it. Once we got Bill Clinton in the White House. It it was over. There these there was no such thing as social conservatism. It was dead. Yeah, it was. It was, and I mean, even Reagan, to a large degree, was not a social conservative. He was a fiscal conservative. Um, he did some things that were socially good, but for the most part, he he got played and ended up having Alzheimer's in his second term anyway. Um, but we we're played by liberals on both sides it's it's the truth of the matter is we're played by liberals on both sides and they've wanted control and and we've given it to them and and this covid thing is an example they did i'm going to go a step further and i'm going to say that this covid thing is manufactured and i would even go as far as saying i i, I believe to some degree it was manufactured by the u.s um i believe it was manufactured by the u.s in order to be able to control the populace uh you see people now like ratting on people not wearing a mask i mean uh, you walk into a store and then people are sitting there with a box of masks going, you want a mask? Like, no, I don't. Thank you. And, you know, I, I keep walking and uh, a couple of times I've been asked to leave the store. And I, okay, fine. I'll never come back here either. And it's, it's uh, you know, that's the belief. There's actually states, uh, even my, my own state uh, has set up things where you can rat on companies uh, that are not enforcing uh, the mask laws. You get people that walk by and they, they, they call your names, they, they get all pissed off at you because you're not wearing a mask. And it's so, so to say that, you know, them taking over even more control, if they need to say it 
because uh, I don't know. Let's just say, for argument's sake, by Christmas, uh, somehow you have a spike in COVID cases, right? Now the government says, okay, well, we need to enact new controls because we can't get these under control. Or the vaccine comes out and 80% of the people say, I'm not taking that, right? So what's the government going to do? The whole idea is predicated on everybody taking the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if 80% of the population doesn't take the vaccine, what are they going to do? They're going to they're yeah. protect more laws. They're going to use force. Um, this... Trad Patrick, we want to find you. I'm going to, I'm going to type in the show notes. I'm going to put, post a link to your YouTube rights and duties. You can follow Patrick at Patrick Trad. You've got the image here. This has been a most enjoyable discussion, and and uh, you and I have sort of talked offline about perhaps putting something together more regularly, especially with respect to Catholic finance, banking, economics. And the like. You're a business owner. I'm a business owner. We both sign other people's checks. We employ people. We know how the economy works. I think that that would be fun. We got to figure out when and where to do it and how to distribute it. But I really appreciate you coming on to the uh, RTF Facebook page for a special live presentation <laughs> on the fourth of December, 2020. Do you, do you what is, is does, today has who's the feast day today? I forget. Uh, I know. Yes. Yeah. Yesterday was St. Francis Xavier. And I didn't even look this morning when I woke up. I'm looking it up now. I've got the liturgical year in front of me. So maybe that'll help me. St. Peter Christolog. I can never say it. Christologus. St. Barbara is today. Oh, St. Barbara is a big one. Yep. That is a big one. Love it. So uh, just to let you know, NBC News just came out with a um, a map of travel restrictions by state. It uh, looks like the entire northeast, uh, the west coast um, are all pretty much locked down on travel restrictions right 